Good morning, my fellow ballers. Welcome back to another episode of Ball with Tyler Todd. On this episode, we have some postseason predictions and some NFL grades for week four and what a week it was for both sports. But first, we're starting with the postseason predictions. Yeah, playoff baseball is already starting. The season's over just like that. So the first prediction for the AL wildcard is it's we have the, obviously the New York Yankees and the Red Sox are playing in that series, but this is just one of the predictions. So two teams riding high will clash in Fenway in what for one will be the culmination of weeks of fighting to stay alive. For the other, it will be frustration and disappointment in the post-game clubhouse. Though Boston has been hot as of late, the Yankees have been hotter with Garrett Cole on the bump and the Yankees managers in the dugout working their magic. The Bronx Bombers will get yet another shot to down their nemesis from Tampa Bay in this postseason. So for this prediction, the Yankees advance. <clears throat> for the NL wildcard, the St. Louis Cardinals at the Los Angeles Dodgers. Speaking of hot teams, no one had a better month of September than the Cardinals, who rode a 17-game winning streak to earn the right to play in L.A. against what many consider to be the MLB's best team. Yes, I agree. The pitching matchup. 37-year-old Max Scherzer versus 40-year-old Adam Wainwright feels like a throwback to 2013, but both have been nothing short of dominant this season, even at their advanced ages. I'll be pulling for St. Louis, obviously, to continue their miraculous run, but the firepower of the Dodgers lineup will win will win them this game and keep their World Series dreams alive. The Dodgers advance. So, yeah, I still think the Dodgers are going to win the World Series in general, but could be wrong. Excuse my nasally voice it's pretty gross for the american league division series i didn't do world series predictions just the wild card and then division series i didn't even do the conference series so just the first two series so the alds the chicago white Sox versus the houston astros with all the attention focused on the wild card races these two teams that locked up their divisions weeks ago have been momentarily forgotten and it's true all the focus has been on pretty much the wild card races for both for both leagues but specifically the one American League. So the Astros and the White Sox have been kind of been on the back burner. That will change quickly, as I expect this to be the closest and most fiercely contested series in the divisional round, along with MLB fans everywhere. I'll be rooting for the White Sox to stick it to the Astros. Yeah, pretty much. I don't like the Astros. Houston all but coasted through the AL West again, but I see Chicago as the most complete team in the American League, and I've been saying that for years, and probably the most talented team in the American League. White Sox in five. And the ALD, another ALDS prediction, the New York Yankees versus the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, this series actually has to happen, duh. The Yankees will be hungry for revenge as Tampa Bay has dominated them in both the regular and postseason for several years running. Kevin Cash and his staff have done an admirable job, as usual, managing their talented stables. Well, one thing jumps out about this Rays team, a clear lack of starting pitching, What is what I have said months ago. That is, yes, they have over 100 wins or at 100, but it's incredible. But if you don't have solid pitching in the postseason, you're not going to win games. That's facts. And then Ryan Yarbrough and Shane McClanahan can only get this team so far against the ever-dangerous Bronx Bombers. So this one going Yankees in four. Don't really want the Yankees going too far, but it's becoming a possibility. And for the NLDS, the Atlanta Braves and the Milwaukee Brewers, the NL East was supposed to be the most competitive division in baseball this season. Mm, pfft, wrong. But ultimately, the Braves were able to weather the storm better than their competitors to steal the division with just 88 wins. Yeah, that's that's a bunch of baloney. Atlanta still boasts a solid club, but missing their ace, Mike Soroka, 
And the MVP candidate, Ronald Acuna Jr., will finally catch up to them. Obviously, they didn't play all year. I mean, Acuna played like 30 games, maybe 25 games, and Soroka didn't even play. So, yeah, they need those two. <clears throat> and hopefully they come back next year because they're really going to need them moving forward. The Brewers, meanwhile, have the nastiest trio of starting pitchers in the league in a lineup that can put up runs when necessary. I'm going Brewers and four. Yeah, it's just Atlanta's not going to have enough. That's the only problem is missing those two guys, Soroka and then Acuna, and then just, yeah, they played in a division that, like I mentioned, most competitive division in baseball. Well, it turned out to be one of the worst divisions in baseball. Plenty of teams under 500, plenty of teams that had expectations to be very good that weren't good. So I don't know. I don't know if the pitching is going to get them that far. Last but not least, a final showdown between the NL West foes, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the San Francisco Giants in the N- in the NLDS. The Giants have been the best story in baseball this season, managing to rest both the season series and, most impressively, the division away from the Dodgers' grip. A ragtag team of old players deemed washed up by the experts. Yeah, um, obviously I want to see the Giants win. I, I don't want to see the Dodgers win. I don't. I I. I hate the Dodgers. <laughs> I hate them. They're, I hate them as much as I hate the Patriots. I do not want the Dodgers going any further than they need to, but that's the problem. There, the Giants aren't gonna. It's gonna. It's. It seems like a long shot. I know, and and I know, San Francisco is being the odds all season. Blah blah blah. Let's see if they, you know, can continue the trend. But dude, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball, man, and they're gonna, they're on their way to two peat, bro. No one's gonna slow them down. I just. I don't know. That's just pers- personally. That's just how I feel. So I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of, <laughs> it's 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 hard to make predictions because obviously they're most of the time they're usually wrong, and obviously I want the Giants to beat them, but I just don't think they have it in them. I'm see- I would love to see again a Dodgers Rays World Series again, but the Rays win this time. But the thing is, I don't know if the Rays, like I mentioned earlier, are going to have the pitching to get them that far. It would be cool to see a White Sox-Dodgers World Series because the White Sox have pitching, and their roster is stacked. They have speed, they have defense, they have power, contact, everything. Attitude, swagger, they got it all. Dodgers-White Sox, not Red Sox. Dodgers-White Sox World Series is what I'm going for. But anyway, enough of that. Those are all the predictions for the postseason. Obviously, no conference series or World Series predictions. Those were just short ones by me. But now... Moving on to football, this is where it gets really fun because there's a lot of good games this week and a lot of bad ones as well. NFL grades for week four. So going into week four, showdown between the Dallas Cowboys and the undefeated Carolina Panthers. The only defense anyone was talking about was the one in Carolina. They were 3-0, riding a three-game win streak. Looking like one of the best teams, Sam Darnold, reincarnated in Carolina. Carolina's defense shut down. The Panthers went into the game giving up the fewest passing yards in the NFL. Pretty damn good. The fewest rushing yards, and it dominated their way to a 3-0 start. So pretty much the NFL's number one defense. Fewest passing yards, fewest rushing yards. All right, see what the Cowboys can do. The Panthers' defense was expected to dominate on Sunday, but instead it was the Cowboys' defense that put on the show during Dallas' wildly impressive 36-28 win. Yeah, pretty shocking, honestly. Last year, the Cowboys fielded one of the worst defenses in football, but that now seems like an eternity ago thanks to Dan Quinn, who has completely revamped the unit. Under Quinn's leadership, the Cowboys have quietly become one of the better defenses in football, and their improvement was on full display against the Panthers. The Panthers tried to throw the ball early and often, but that plan blew up in their face thanks to an unexpectedly impressive Cowboys pass rush that had Sam Darnold running for his life for the better part of four quarters. 
The Cowboys recorded five sacks in the game, making the first time since 2019 that they've hit that number. So, dude, two years. It's pretty, yeah, it's a long time. The pass rush was led by Randy Gregory, who was playing in just his second game this season due to COVID-19 issues. Even when the Cowboys weren't sacking Darnold, they were still giving him fits as they hurried him more than 10 times. That pressure caused Darnold to rush several throws, including two in the second half that led to two different interceptions by Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, pretty impressive. Trayvon Diggs is, is a really good corner. Both of Diggs' picks came during a dominating third quarter where the Cowboys outscored the Panthers 20-0. After trailing 14-13 at the half, the Cowboys went into the fourth quarter with a comfortable 33-14 lead. The interceptions by Diggs played a huge part in the dominating quarter as the Cowboys ended up turning the two picks into 10 points. The Cowboys also got a brilliant performance from their offense. Dak Prescott threw four touchdown passes, and the rushing attack totaled more than 240 yards for just the sixth time this century. But we're talking about the defense because no one saw this coming. <clears throat> and it's true, really. With Prescott returning this season, everyone expected to the everyone expected the Cowboys to have a high-powered offense, but no one expected their defense to be this good this fast. If the defense keeps playing at the level that it's playing, the Cowboys might end up coasting to the NFC East title. But let's move on to the grades now. That was just like a quick little like intro to the whole thing, but the grades. So for Dallas's 36-28 win over Carolina, first starting with Carolina, they get a grade of C. It was a tale of two halves for the Panthers, who basically landed an A for the first two quarters and an F for the final two sessions. The best defense in the league held one of the best offenses in the league in the Cowboys to only 13 points at halftime, and Darnold rewarded them by scoring two rushing touchdowns to give the Panthers a one-point lead on the road. But in the second half, Darnold and the defense both collapsed under pressure, with the former being sacked five times in the game and throwing two back-breaking interceptions, both to Diggs, which led to touchdowns by the Cowboys' offense. It was a game that the Panthers could have won when the Cowboys adjusted. Carolina didn't, or at least not until it was too late. And the Cowboys get a grade of A-. minus. It felt like the Cowboys were only a handful of mistakes from having a strong lead in the first half, but instead had a one-point deficit going into the half. They did a lot of good things in the first two quarters, though, especially from Ezekiel Elliott and Gregory, with Elliott running freely over the Panthers' vaunted defense while Gregory racked up his first two sacks of the 2021 season. Those two sacks would add to a total of five on the day for the Cowboys' defense and tossing two interceptions by Diggs and Prescott and Co. Had plenty of extra possessions to play with. Yeah, really good team, and I mean... That's the only Chargers loss. That's the only loss that the Chargers have been faced have been given this year is by the Cowboys, and they and the Cowboys won on like a fifty-six yard field goal. So, oh yeah, we should be hanging with them. But that was yeah, pretty impressive game. Next, Indianapolis twenty-seven to seventeen over Miami. Indianapolis gets a grade of B plus. Finally, into the win column with this game. The Colts' offense got off to a slow start in this game, but it didn't end up hurting them too much, and that's because their defense absolutely shut down the Dolphins. Not only did the Colts limit Miami to just 73 yards in the first half, but they only gave up one drive that went for more than seven yards during that span, which allowed the Colts' offense to build a 7-3 halftime lead that Indy would never relinquish. The Colts' offense did finally wake up in the second half, and a lot of that was thanks to Jonathan Taylor, who had a 38-yard carry in the first play from scrimmage in the third quarter. Taylor, 103 yards and 16 carries, and Carson Wentz, 228 passing yards and two touchdowns helped spur the Colts' offense over the game's final two quarters. And now for the Miami Dolphins, a grade of D. 
<clears throat> whatever the Dolphins are doing on offense, it's obviously not working. It didn't work with Tua Tagovailoa, and it's not working with Jacoby Brissett. The Dolphins had less than 100 yards of offense through the first three quarters and didn't start moving the ball until it was too late. Defensively, the Dolphins just seemed to tire out in the second half, which is what happens when you're on the field for more than 37 minutes like Miami's defense was on Sunday. Yeah, it's not, a, not something you want to read or hear from your team. That's really bad. Next game, Chicago Bears, a victory 24-14 over the Detroit Lions. Lions deserve a grade of C-. The red zone was more like the twilight zone for the Lions on Sunday, and that's why they ended up losing this game. During the first half alone, the Lions got inside of Chicago's eight-yard line on three separate drives, but on each drive, they came away with zero points. The first drive ended on a bizarre fumble. The second drive ended on a failed fourth down, and the third drive ended on a strip sack of Jared Goff. Those three drives pretty much summed up Detroit's red zone woes. To add insult to injury, the Lions also got inside the bear of the Bears' 10-yard line in the second half and once again came away with zero points after another failed fourth down. Dude, what are y'all doing out there? we got to figure it out, man. And then the Bears, a grade of B. One week after pulling off one of the most inept offensive performances in NFL history, the Bears bounced back with an impressive showing against the Lions. David Montgomery's ability to run the ball, 23 carries, 106 rushing yards, two touchdowns, made things much easier for Justin Fields, and the rookie quarterback took advantage of that by making some big plays. Field threw for 215 yards, including a perfect 64-yard strike to Darnell Mooney that set up a touchdown in the first half. This was a field the Bears were hoping to see last week, and if he keeps playing like this, the Bears could, play a, could be a playoff contender this year. Yeah, I know. A little, too, a little too soon to be saying that, but it's a possibility. Next game, the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Texans. Bills win 40-0, so the Texans deserve a great uh, F. The lowest grade possible. Buffalo is a hard place to play for any quarterback, but especially a rookie quarterback. The first road start of Dave, Davis Mills' career was a total nightmare for both Mills and the Texans. During an ugly first half, Mills actually completed more passes to Bills players two than Texans players one. The Texans only totaled eight yards in the first half, and things didn't get much better in the second half. The Texans finished with just 109 yards of offense, which was the third lowest total in franchise history. And for the Bills, they deserve a grade of A. Thanksgiving isn't until next month, but don't tell that to the Bills' defense, who got to feast on the Texans in this game. The Bills' defense dominated Houston in every way that an opposing defense can. They racked up three sacks, they picked off three passes, and they even recorded a fumble. This is the second time this season that the Bills have pitched a shutout, making the marking the first time since 1990 that they've pitched multiple shutouts in a single season. The 109 yards by the Texans were the fewest the Bills have surrendered in a game since 2013. Bills are on a roll, dude. They really are. They're a really good football team. Next game, Washington football team and the Atlanta Falcons. Washington football team wins 34-30. They deserve a grade of B+. When the 2021 season started, the belief was that Washington's defense would have to carry the team this year, but that definitely wasn't the case on Sunday. The defense surrendered 30 points, but they were bailed out by a high-flying offense that totaled more than 400 yards. That's pretty rad. Terry McLaurin gashed up the Falcons' secondary with six catches for 123 yards and a touchdown. Taylor Heineke had his best showing of the season with 290 passing yards and three touchdowns, including two that came in the final four minutes. Dustin Hopkins added some drama to this game with two missed extra points, but he also got bailed out by the but he also got bailed out by the offense's impressive performance. And for the Falcons, a grade of B-. Cordero Patterson put on a show in Atlanta, but it wasn't enough to carry the Falcons to a win. 
Patterson had three touchdown catches, but the Falcons still lost because their defense clapped down the stretch. It, yeah, what, what, when has there not been a Falcons collapse since, since the Super Bowl collapse? Like, really, it seems like it's just a common theme now. The Falcons surrendered 12 points over the final four minutes, including a 30-yard touchdown to J.D. McKissick that came on a third and seven. The loss overshadowed an impressive performance by Matt Ryan, who threw for 283 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, huge bummer, man. Defense couldn't put it together. Next game, <clears throat> the New York Giants and New Orleans Saints. Giants get their first win of the season over the Saints, 27-21. Yeah, a lot of teams that were that didn't have wins going into this week now are into the win column. Pretty impressive. Yeah, and the, and the Saints, I knew they weren't for real. Like I, said, like I did last week. Are you for real, Jameis Winston? No, I knew the Saints weren't for real. But the Giants deserve a grade of B+. The game was the Daniel Jones show for New York. The Giants quarterback threw for a career high 402 yards, and New York needed every single one of them. Jones completed two touchdown passes of more than 50 yards, with the biggest one coming in the fourth quarter on a 52-yard scoring throw to Saquon Barkley. Jones led the Giants to scores on each of their final three possessions of the game, which allowed New York to steal the win in New Orleans. The Giants got some more uprising performances, especially at receiver where rookie Kadarius Toney, six catches, 78 yards, and John Ross, three catches, 77 yards, one touchdown. Both had big days. And then the Saints deserve a grade of C. It's not often you see the Saints defense get gashed up, but that's exactly what happened in this game. The New Orleans secondary got diced up for 402 yards, marking just the fourth time since 2015 that the unit has surrendered more than 400 yards. With Drew Brees, the Saints would regularly win these games, but with Brees gone, the Saints offense hasn't been making enough big plays. In the first half alone, the Saints got inside of New York's 40-yard line on two different drives, but came away with zero points, failed fourth down, plus missed field goal. So, yeah, a couple of costly errors in the offense not playing big enough really cost the Saints the game. Next on the list, the New York Jets, Tennessee Titans. Yeah, the Jets won a game finally in overtime with the final score of 27 to 24 over the Titans. So therefore, the Titans deserve a grade of D, not F, but D. When you're missing your two best receivers, it's hard to move the ball, and the Titans found that on the, found that out the hard way in what was easily the most embarrassing loss of the week for any NFL team with AJ Brown and Julio Jones both out. Ryan Tannehill's day turned into a nightmare. The Titans quarterback threw 19 incomplete passes, and he was pressured on nearly every pass. Derrick Henry gave the Titans a heroic performance, 33 carries, 157 yards, one touchdown, but it wasn't quite enough. Yeah, it wasn't quite enough. That is a huge-ass game from any running back in any, any game, and you're not winning. Embarrassing. The Titans had a chance to tie things up at the end, but Randy Bullock missed a 49-yard field goal on the game's final play. Sad. And the Jets, a grade of A. Finally. It took four weeks, but the Jets finally have a win, and they did it by putting together a nearly perfect performance in all three phases of the game. Defensively, Quinn and Williams led a unit that absolutely suffocated Tannehill. Williams tallied two of New York's seven sacks, which marked the first time in three years the Jets have recorded that many sacks in a game. Yes, yeah, seven. It's pretty insane, dude. That's really good. The Jets also finally got a breakout performance from Zach Wilson, who threw for 297 and two touchdowns. Wilson threw a 29-yard pass in OT that helped set up Matt Amendola field goal that ended up being the game winner. Yes, rad. Finally cool to see a losing team actually get put something together. Next game, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Kansas City would win 42-30 to in, in this game. 
yeah, I, I really didn't want. Obviously, I don't want Casey winning at all. And at one point, they actually didn't look like they were going to win because Philly's first drive actually looked really good, and Philly actually looked up to the task, but apparently not. The Chiefs deserve a grade of A in this one. The Chiefs just had to make sure they didn't beat themselves against the Eagles because they were at first, and, I mean, essentially did. They, they really were. Kansas City scored six touchdowns on seven possessions and dominated Philadelphia at the line of scrimmage in the process, rushing for 200 yards in the win. Yes, this was later in the game, not in the first. First two quarters, they did not look very good. Patrick Mahomes threw for five touchdowns in the win, three of which went to Tyreek Hill and had just six incomplete passes. The Chiefs' defense also was better, holding the Eagles to just three of six in the red zone, and one of those touchdowns was in the final seconds after allowing 91.7% of opponents' red zone trips to score heading into the game. Andy Reid had a well-coached game against an inferior team, scoring on all the red zone trips. The Chiefs took care of business and got back on track, even though there's still work to do. Yes, plenty of work, considering they're, the last, they're in last place. Yes, the Chiefs are last place in the AFC West, and the Chargers are first in the AFC West, and the Chargers are first in all of the AFC. Let's go. Rise up, Bulltop. Let's go. The Eagles deserve a great FC+. <clears throat> Philadelphia was able to move the ball against Kansas City, like I mentioned. <clears throat> Not even punting in the game. The Eagles finished with 461 yards and scored 30 points, seven of which in garbage time, behind an offensive line missing four or five starters. What doomed the Eagles were failed opportunities in the red zone. Like I said, they easily could have won this game, dude. It wasn't like Kansas City. I mean, yes, Kansas City played a very good game later in the game, but really, Eagles could have won the game for real. Failed opportunities in the red zone. Three times converted field goals. You can't have that. Those need to be touchdowns. Nine penalties and rushing for only 103 yards against one of the league's worst run defense. That was like the Chargers last week. Kansas City has a horrible run defense, and we really didn't run the ball very well against them last week. We kind of did. It was like middle, like maybe like a little average, below average, above average. It was kind of just middle of the pack. Philadelphia's defense also couldn't get stops, allowing Kansas City to convert 9 of 10 third downs and score touchdowns on 6 of 7 possessions. The Eagles finally got a takeaway on defense, yet could only muster 3 points off of Mahone's interception. They can't stop a good offensive team, which is a major problem going forward. Yes. Obviously, because that's the role of the defense. Duh. <laughs> so stupid. Next game, the Cleveland Browns and Minnesota Vikings. The Browns win 14-7. A very simple game. The Browns get a grade of B+. The defense was sensational yet again. The Minnesota ground game was held to 2.8 yards per carry despite Dalvin Cook's return to action. Greedy Williams essentially ended the game with an interception. The reason this grade was not higher is because Baker Mayfield was awful, and I'm still really not sold on him yet, but I still think he's good. He just, it just, It's just taking him a little bit longer to get good. Odell Beckham Jr. had a step on more than one occasion, but Mayfield was off target. The first required some pocket movement from the quarterback, but it still should have been completed. The Nick Chubb-Kareem Hunt tandem was huge again, and it's a big task for the Chargers, man. That's our game next week, dude. Home game against the Browns, dude, it's going to be very tough. But, um... Putting up only 14 points against Minnesota, yeah, you uh, need to put up more. Offense has to be working. It has to be grooving. Vikings get a grade of B-. The defense played somewhat well, although Baker Mayfield certainly, not currently, certainly aided their efforts, yes. They recorded three sacks and made a big fourth down stop in the first half. The ground game was awful, and Kirk Cousins was good, but not great after an effective and efficient opening drive. The opening drive ended with a touchdown, but the Vikings wouldn't sniff the end zone for the rest of the game. Yes, it's very bad. You need to put teams away. You need to find that same recipe that worked the first time and keep hitting at it. Next game, Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers. The Seattle Seahawks would win 28-21. Very good game. Seahawks deserve a grade of B. The Seahawks only put up 234 yards of offense, but they were able to win 
thanks to the magic of Russell Wilson and a bend but don't break defense. On Wilson's end, he threw two touchdown passes, including a miraculous 13-yard touchdown in the third quarter where he looked like he was going to be sacked but wasn't an amazing play. They, the play is on YouTube if you guys want to check it out for the highlights. Wilson also tacked on a rushing touchdown on an impressive 16-yard run defensively. The box score will tell you the Seahawks weren't great. They gave up 457 yards of offense. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. But they came up with big plays when they had to. God, that is so bad. And they still won the game, which is crazy. But still, the Seahawks held the 49ers to just 2 of 14 on third down conversions. And they also forced a turnover. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And the 49ers deserve a grade of C. The biggest problem for the 49ers in this game was definitely their special teams play. With Robbie Gold injured, punter Mitch Wazowski had to and Mike Wazowski, Mitch Wazowski, excuse me, had to handle kicking duties, and he responded by missing two kicks, 41-yard field goal, and an extra point. And that wasn't even the worst of the special teams play. Returner Trenton Cannon muffed a kickoff in the third quarter, which led to a short 14-yard touchdown drive for the Seahawks. Offensively, the 49ers just weren't good enough to make up for mistakes like that. Although the offense got off to a hot start with the touchdown on its opening drive, they fell apart after that as the rest of the first half was just one disaster after another with an interception, a missed field goal, and multiple punts. After Jimmy Garoppolo was lost to a calf injury, hmm, what's new? Jimmy's hurt again. Trey Lance had a chance to come in and spark the offense, but that didn't happen. The rookie quarterback did throw a 76-yard touchdown, but he also struggled with his accuracy, completing just 9 of eight, nine of 18 passes. Give the guy a break. It's his first game. Probably very nerve-wracking for him, but that game is over with. Next game, Arizona Cardinals and Los Angeles Rams. Game of the week, and oh my, Arizona performed well. Two NFC West undefeated teams, and Arizona is now the only undefeated team left in the league. Arizona wins 37-20. to Everyone predicted the Rams to win this one. The Cardinals are 4-0, and it was a massive game for them. They deserve a grade of A. Kyler Murray is firmly in the MVP conversation, or should be. He outdueled Matthew Stafford from the jump, and fortunately, he also had Cliff Kingsbury behind him with the Cardinals deploying their ground game with full force. And how about that defense frustrating Stafford early with some unusually sticky coverage? It's time to start calling them a true contender in the NFC because only a few teams know how to keep up with them. And I think they're one of the better teams in the NFC, and I have for a while. They got the right pieces in place to be very good. And the Rams, who have been dominant through the first three weeks, they get a grade of D+. Their defense stood firm in a, in a few key spots, like a red zone stand at the end of the first half. And they're still a good team, no doubt. Maybe one of the best in the NFL, and they are. But Stafford was not his usual self in the face of stingy coverage. Darrell Henderson's decent day on the ground was wasted. And most concerning of all, Raheem Morris had barely any answer for Murray and co. This was probably a hiccup more than a sign of true sickness. But it was a lopsided loss no matter how you slice it. In the next game on the list, Baltimore Ravens and Denver Broncos. Baltimore wins big, 23-7. And like I said last week, I was talking about Teddy Bridgewater. Is it really you? He was middle of the pack, but he's gone now. He got injured. Drew Locke came in, and Baltimore showed Denver what's up. Is it really you, Denver? I think so. They, Denver did not play well at all. Offense was bad, and the defense could not withstand the, the onslaught of Baltimore's offense. So Baltimore, therefore, deserves a grade of B+. The Ravens did not have to do anything spectacular on Sunday, which is kind of you know kind of insulting to say because Denver's defense, I think, is a top-five defense. It really is. But Baltimore, 
They just had to defend a double-digit lead from a backup quarterback in the second half. Yeah, very simple task. Still, credit to Lamar Jackson, the defense, for showing up and taking care of business. This wasn't the fun matchup we expected due to Ted due to Teddy Bridgewater's concussion, but Baltimore didn't let anything funky happen in the second half. Good win. That's three straight now for the Ravens. Yeah. They're a very good team. The Broncos, a grade of C-. The Broncos did not lose just because Bridgewater went down with the concussion at halftime. It's not like he was playing incredibly well. I mean, this game stats. Completed 7 of 16 passes for 65 yards and one touchdown in the first half and was outscored 17-7. to So Drew Locke couldn't come in and lead a comeback. That was probably expected from the home fans as some actually booed him as he entered the game. This was the first decent opponent the Broncos faced this season, and that was evident at times. Denver's secondary had several miscues, which led to big plays, such as Marquise Brown's 49-yard touchdown in the second quarter. This was actually Lamar Jackson's second-ever regular season game where he threw for more than 300 yards. It's weird to think that, but that's just kind of the quarterback he is. Next game, Green Bay Packers, Pittsburgh Steelers. Green Bay Packers win 27-17. Therefore, the Steelers get a grade of D. Pittsburgh's offense continues to struggle while Najee Harris rushed for 62 yards. No other Pittsburgh player gained a single yard on the ground. The Steelers' offensive line allowed two sacks of Ben Roethlisberger, who on Sunday passed Brett Favre as the second-most-sacked quarterback in league history. <laughs> Hilarious. That guy stinks. The Steelers' defense did a— Roethlisberger stinks, not Favre. Favre is a goat, but I don't like Roethlisberger. The Steelers' defense did a good enough job containing Devontae Adams, who caught six passes for 64 yards, but they were unable to contain the rest of Green Bay's playmakers. The unit did receive a solid afternoon from T.J. Watt, who had two sacks and a forced fumble of Aaron Rodgers. And the Packers deserve a grade of A. Green Bay dominated in all three phases. On offense, the Packers piled up 23 first downs and 369 total yards. They were excellent on third down, converting on nine of their 15 third down situations. Randall Cobb came up clutch with two touchdown catches. Rodgers totaled three touchdowns and was complimented extremely well by running backs A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Dillon rumbled for 81 yards on 15 carries, while Jones had 99 yards total yards, excuse me, on 18 touches. The Packers defense held Pittsburgh to just 4 of 11 on third down and 0 for 2 on 4 on fourth down. Green Bay received two field goals from Mason Crosby, who has now hit 24 straight kicks, which is a new franchise record. Yeah, that guy is an absolute monster with his leg. In the last game, well, for like last game for the Sunday slate, I'm still talking about the Charger game last night, but for the Sunday games, obviously, you know, everyone, the highly anticipated return to Foxborough. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New England Patriots. Tampa Bay wins 19-17. Obviously, in Tom Brady's return, that's what everyone was focused on. How would he perform? The Buccaneers get a grade of B-. An imperfect night for Tom Brady, pronounced by the hype of the matchup. But even though they lacked explosive plays, they played ground and, ground and pound pretty well with Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, and even Brady himself all logging some tough yards in inclement weather. The Buccaneers rushed for 119 yards and 30 carries. The defense, meanwhile, allowed Mac Jones to put together some long, beautiful drives, but also came through in crunch time and flashed off the edge. Not a championship performance, obviously, but they won in a gritty way, and that matters. Obviously, in playing in Foxborough, it's a big deal. The Patriots deserve a grade of B+. It actually was a very good game for them as well. They didn't get the W, but they deserve a lot of credit. With a clearly inferior roster, they took it to the wire for a number of reasons, none bigger than Jones. The rookie quarterback looked nothing like a rookie for much of the contest, shrugging off the pressure of the moment with sustained efficiency to spread the ball around and execute a balanced game plan for Josh McDaniels. 
Not only did he throw for 275, but he also completed 19 straight passes at one point, which is the longest streak by a rookie quarterback over the past 30 years. Yeah, that's pretty dope. The D was active and energetic with Matthew Judon headlining a real fight to upstate Brady, which looked like it might happen until Nick Folk's 56-yard field goal got doinked out in the final minute. Dude, easily could have won the game right there. That's the craziest thing about the whole thing, but... So that is all the Sunday grades for all the games that happened on Sunday. But we got to talk about this game last night. Monday Night Football, Chargers, Raiders, AC West rivalry. We're in SoFi in Los Angeles. Obviously, stadium's mad packed with Raider fans, obviously, but also Chargers. It's a huge game, dude. Raiders are undefeated 3-0, had the league's number one offense. Chargers 2-1, just came off beating the Kansas City Chiefs. That was a, a huge game. Everyone's talking about the Chargers. So impressive. Well, what's going to be the bounce back? I mean, it's a huge game for both teams. So giving, actually, I didn't even get the recap. So the Chargers won the game, 20-14. to 14, And it was a very dominant game for most of the game. So I'll just say that. So so for the Raiders as a whole, obviously 3-0, undefeated, coming into this game with high expectations, league's number one offense. Going, and apparently, they always start off super slow. They've been a second-half team all year. And three of their four games, they've been behind. They've They've fallen down 14-0 in three of their four games. Okay, so that right there should tell you. So then they came back in the second half and scored 14 points in the third quarter, and then that was it. That was all they did. That was the only scoring they did the rest of the game. And in the first half, though, let's talk about that before anything. One of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen from a team. They had one first down and a total of 52 yards on offense in the first half. Absolutely awful. And that goes to show you that the Chargers defense stepped up to the task because the Chargers defense, knowing that this is, hey, this team's 3-0. They're the league's number one offense. They have an insanely good ground and pound run game. Oh, yeah, speaking of that run game, the Raiders. Joshua Jacobs, 13 carries for 40 yards, an average of 3.1 yards per carry. Mm, Nice. So, screw you. Run game was awful. Derek Carr through for 21 of 34 for 196 with two touchdowns and an interception. So, yeah, it looked awful. They just did not look very good. And the defense, yeah, the, D- the Raiders defense didn't look good either. And the Chargers offense, I mean, was able to exploit the defense, obviously. But um, the Raiders sacked uh, Justin Herbert twice. And then our defense sacked Derek Carr four times and hit him another seven. So it was weird, dude. The, the makeup of the game was very different. I don't know. It's just... The Chargers up 21-0 at half, just absolutely dominating the Raiders the entire the entire first half, like I just mentioned. Seriously, just crushing them. Defense, strip sack from Bosa, a sack from Jerry Tillery, a sack from Christian Covington, literally just pressuring Derek Carr the entire game. Offense is not moving, this, that, and the third. They just look horrible. Just look horrible. And then the Raiders' defense, they just did not game plan properly for, the, for Herbert and the Chargers. They really didn't. Justin Herbert... 25 of 38 for 222 yards and three scores. Yeah, huge game from him. Obviously, want me want more passing yards, but dude, three touchdowns is awesome. And then Austin Eckler, 15 rushes, 117 yards, touchdown on the ground, and a catching touchdown. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, dude. It's pr- pretty sick to see the Chargers actually stepping up, you know, actually doing things. Like, come on, dude. But yeah, dude, the the Raiders, man, it just didn't it didn't really work out for them. But my Chargers, man, so awesome. So awesome. Three and one. They lead the AFC West and they also have, they lead all of AFC. They have the best record because you have to consider the division record. Two and oh, the division and they're three and one. 
Yes, my bolts. Let's go. In a game that pretty much looked like a, a sea of, uh, you know, of black and silver. Oh, yeah, you know, they have no fans in L.A. They don't. They truthfully don't. I, I don't I don't want the Chargers in L.A. I'm a diehard Chargers fan. They belong in San Diego, and that's the truth. And everyone knows that. L.A. belongs to the Raiders and the Rams. It does not belong to the Chargers. And that was like one of the main focal points in the game of from the announcers last night. Oh, the fans, they're not showing out. Oh, they're showing up. Yeah, well, we shut them out last night, which is a huge thing. Yes, I know we still have fans out there, but yeah, we won the game. Huge game for the Chargers, dude. Huge game. And we even got a bigger game next week when Cleveland comes to town. So I'm just pumped, man. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes, obviously, looked like the good old Chargers there in the third quarter, giving up 14 unanswered. I'm like, okay, we may blow this game, but defense shorted up. Obviously, Derwin James got an interception on Derek Carr. Huge play. Yeah, defense played really well. And the offense actually played well. Yeah, played really good. So, it's just, I don't even know what to say because the game was nerve-wracking, but also very good as well. But that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Ball with Tyler Todd. Episode 70 will be airing this Friday at 5 p.m. I will see you all then. Peace out.